The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Rev. Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I'm very glad that you're listening. We've got another great program for you. I know you're going to enjoy it. Uh, an interesting look at spirituality and rationality and how it all goes together and how how we are connected with our minds and our hearts and how uh, we walk that spiritual path. Anyway, I'm glad you're listening. I know you're going to enjoy the program today. And I want to thank you also for liking the Spirit of Recovery Facebook page. Thank you for posting your comments on the wall. And thank you for emailing me and letting me know what's happening for you in your spirituality and recovery walk. And thank you for letting your friends, your family, the people in your recovery community, the unity community, your other spiritual communities know about us here on Spirit of Recovery. It's great to be broadcasting on the topic of recovery and spirituality right here on unityonlineradio.org. And I'm really glad that what we're doing is making a difference for you. Thank you for letting me know that. I love it when I hear you letting me know that what's happening is touching your heart, opening your mind, inspiring you, and opening up new thoughts, new possibilities for you in your life and in your recovery. Every week we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community with guests who are down to earth, knowledgeable and innovative, people who are in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people or sometimes all the above, and we bring you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You know that you can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can obviously listen live via your computer, via your smart device. You can uh, also go to Stitcher.com and download their app and search for Spirit of Recovery. And you can listen on demand. We've got several years worth of really great archives. Just go to unityonlineradio.org slash program slash Spirit of Recovery. 
I want you to know that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place. And if you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction, or if you're the family member or friend of somebody that's got the disease of addiction, maybe you yourself are in your own recovery as a family member or friend, because family members and friends also have recovery processes and recovery programs. Um, Or maybe you're just curious about addiction, curious about recovery, interested in spirituality, whatever um, uh, your situation is, wherever you're coming from. I'm very glad that you joined us today, that you're listening to Spirit of Recovery, and we welcome you. We welcome your participation in our discussions. If you've got a comment or a question for my guests, we're happy to have you um, phone that in or email that in, and uh, we'd be happy to bring it into the discussion. I want you to know also that if you like what's happening here on Spirit of Recovery and or on the many other wonderful programs on UnityOnlineRadio.org, you can make a financial contribution to support this nonprofit radio station. And you can make a one-time gift or a recurring gift. Text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone and that does help to uh, support the programming here on unityonlineradio.org which is a nonprofit endeavor Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a unity minister and an addictions counselor, and I'm also a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people that have the disease of addiction, and this month of May 2016, I'm celebrating 35 years um, of my own engagement in my own recovery process as a family member and friend, because those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development, and I am so so grateful it opened and keeps opening so many doors for me. My walk is and continues to be an integration of unity and recovery principles, and that keeps transforming my life and keeps me growing in deeper ways. So I am delighted. I'm grateful to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you about spirituality and recovery and to hear what you're experiencing in your spirituality and recovery walk. Our topic today is finding your spirit without losing your mind. So, you know, sometimes uh, it, it can seem like that you might have to give up your intelligence or your intellect or your rational thinking processes in order to live a spiritual life. But that is definitely not true. And my guest, Gudjan Bergman, is going to really be sharing with us about this because it's a topic that he has explored a lot professionally. He's explored it personally. And he's got a lot of fresh ideas and fresh ways of talking about this age-old dilemma. And uh, what he's going to be sharing with us is that uh, actually, if you want to live an authentic spirituality, it demands from you that you explore and honor all of these aspects of yourself, your intellect, your intelligence, your rationality, and that uh, deeper place or that other aspect of, that we talk about as spirituality. Gudjan Bergman is a nonfiction author and novelist, and he has a varied background, and he'll be sharing with us some about that today as well. He is a prolific and industrious writer, a professional speaker, a mindful yoga teacher, a devoted father, a meditation practitioner, an integral philosopher, a loving husband, an avid reader, an instigator of dialogues, and a nature aficionado. And this describes him very well. Uh, Gudjan was born in Iceland, and he is now a U.S. citizen. He's been in this country several years. And... Um, 
he has had a varied uh, career in terms of being a motivational speaker. He has um, dealt with his own changes in his own approach to living, and he'll share with us about that. And he has also had a, a moving on from being a motivational speaker and a motivational teacher into being a person that is more interested in helping people explore questions rather than giving them answers. So you can learn more about his work if you go to his website. It's www.author, A-U-T-H-O-R, Bergman, and that's B-E-R-G-M-A-N-N dot com, author Bergman, B-E-R-G-M-A-N-N dot com. And Goodgen has written many books, a lot of um, nonfiction books um, about, again, about healthy living, about uh, different uh, helpful techniques and so forth. And he's now uh, working, uh, trying his hand, and he's done a good job of it. He's published his first novel. We'll be hearing about that today. And this novel has an intriguing title. It's called The Meditating Psychiatrist Who Tried to Kill Himself. So um, it, it's fascinating. It's a, it's a great book. So, Gudjan, welcome to Spirit of Recovery. Well, thank you, Anna. Thank you for having me. Yeah, very glad that you're here. So, um, again, you've done a lot of things. It's almost like when I when I look at your life story, I'm, there are probably more phases in this, but I can almost see three phases in your life, and maybe uh, you might say that there are more, but the beginning of your uh, career, kind of a middle section, and now you're uh, in kind of a third phase in your life. Share with us a little bit about your your life journey, kind of you, you started out being interested in, in your career in the, in the 90s, you got involved in music, a lot of uh, various kinds of uh, communication expressions and you're still in that but it's it's changed and your your sense of of maybe your purpose in life or or your philosophy of life has has transformed and grown along with it so would you share with us a little bit about your journey and your your changes and transformations yes certainly uh like one of my yoga teachers used to say uh when we talk about many lives we've already had many lives just in this life (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's how i feel (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's how I feel about, about my life so far. Um, you know, when I was younger, um, there was some troubles in my childhood, um, um, something we can go into maybe later if you, if you want to, uh, and it led me to want to engage fully in a rock and roll, uh, rebellious kind of lifestyle. Uh, <laughs> And I did a good job of that. I had um, role models that were uh, not much to look up to. You know, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Kurt uh, Cobain, all died very young. Mm-hmm. Uh, my motto was, you know, live fast, die young, be a good-looking corpse. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was pretty much how I lived. I lived fast, furiously. Uh, I... Uh, dove into the music business headfirst, and uh, there came a point, though, where I realized that I couldn't, you know, go on like that. Uh, I remember there was this one time I was working, shortly before I quit drinking, uh, I was working during the week as a yoga teacher and a daycare uh, (laughs) 
professional, working with five-year-old kids. And then on the weekends, I put on my rock and roll outfit and uh, and went, you know, downtown drinking, uh, even doing something, some illegal drugs. Uh, and <clears throat> there was the, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde element. Part of me wanted to do good. Part of me wanted to be good. And another part of me just wanted to go nuts, <laughs> really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's that was the instigation. That was the starting point uh, of my of the second, you know, phase, uh, as, as you put it. And the second phase was set off with with two competing ideas that I've been working with ever since. Uh, one was yoga. You know, a, a meditative, introverted, non-attachment kind of approach to life. Uh, it was very helpful in my recovery. It was very helpful to deal with difficult emotions, with, uh, you know, pain of the past. But then at the same time, I was introduced to motivational methods such as time management, goal setting, uh, and so on. And, these, and, and I remember I wrote to, do you know who Brian Tracy is? I don't. I don't I'm not familiar with that name. Mm -mm. So Brian Tracy is one of, the, uh, one of the top motivational speakers, along with guys like Jim Rohn and Tony Robbins and so on here mm -hmm. in the States. And so I wrote him, I remember, just before I quit drinking. Uh, and I was asking him this question is like, I'm meditating all the time, and I'm, I'm trying to, you know, find the good and, and the non-attachment part inside me. But at the same time, you're telling me to set goals and focus and, and strive and, <laughs> and try things and, and so on. Uh, where's the balance between those two? And he good wrote question. back. Mm -hmm. it, it, it is a good question. And it's the, it's the balancing act that I've been trying to find answers to probably ever since. Uh, because there is a part of us that needs to, you know, strive, live, have goals, work in this world. But then there's the, the everlasting part, I believe, that does not. And finding balance between the two is, is the difficult part. And he sent me uh, a letter back, and he had no answer. Hmm. Is that what he <laughs> said? So, did he say, I don't know, or what did he say? Well, he, he had no answer. He, he sent me back, uh, you know, thoughtful question, and then he kind of mused about, well, you know, sometimes you have to choose between these things, uh, but some, it, it's not necessary to choose either or. You can do both a little bit. And I wasn't satisfied uh, with that answer. I probably wasn't in a space where I could take in the paradox. And I think, mm -hmm. really, you know, when it comes down to it, this has been the paradox of my life ever since. Uh, and I'm beginning to settle in and just embrace it. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I don't think you can figure it out completely. I think you can have some ways of dealing with it, uh, that some of that are helpful, others that are not so helpful. Uh, mm -hmm. But you know, it, it is a paradox. It's the striving part, the worldly part. You need money. You need a house over your head if you want to have children. You want to provide for them. You need food. You need clothing and so on and so forth. 
But at the same time, there's this deep, intrinsic longing for peace, uh, at least within me, that I find is, is pulling just as hard and is sometimes pulling me in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, away what is, from... What's that? Go ahead. Go ahead. Now, what are some of the things that you've done or that maybe back at that point in your life when you were starting to, to, to realize that this paradox existed, what were some of the different things that you did to try to resolve it or maybe you did resolve it? What worked and what didn't work? Well, I, I think I just pursued both paths with the same kind of passion uh, very soon. So, so I quit drinking back in 1999. In 98, I uh, learned how to be a yoga teacher. And prior to that, and so let, let me get just a little bit into my family history, not to reveal too much. Uh, but I was born into uh, a very strange situation. Uh, my father was married to a woman that was not my mother, uh, and they kept on having an affair, my mother and my father, for the first nine years of my life. Uh, and so I was nine years old when my father moved in with us, and then, you know, and I put a lot of this uh, into my novel now, a lot of these struggles and paradoxes with uh, uh, the past and, and parenting and and, uh, and imprints and so on. You know, the the when we think we've found um, freedom from something, and then it surfaces again forty years later, and you don't know where it's coming from. You know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, and so that happened. And then when he moved in, of course, you can imagine a couple having lived. Uh, you know, a lie of sorts for 12, 13 years. Um, that doesn't resolve itself in a single night, correct? No, right, yeah, that's a biggie. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so they had their difficulties, and, and that unfortunately spilled over and, and, and influenced a lot of people, me included. Uh, and so I found my relief, release, and, and alcohol, and drugs, and, and sex, and rock and roll. You know, that was my way uh, out of that pain. Uh, but at the same time, they worked really hard, and they, for, for however they did it, they managed to create a loving environment for me and my brother. Uh, and they worked really, really hard to resolve uh, everything that had happened between everybody. Uh, and I think my father's biggest accomplishment was that me uh, and my three older half brothers, we are all friends today. Which, That's huge. You know, seemed, yeah, it really is. Yeah, mm-hmm. which, which seemed impossible at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And so what they did was they uh, looked to, you know, my mother, she opened a new age store in Iceland when she was, uh, when 1989. Um, she was the first one who translated the word codependence huh. and melody beauty. Yeah, there, there was no oh, nice. word for that mm-hmm. in, in, in Icelandic <laughs> wow. until, until that happened. Yeah, and uh, she oh she was called a witch by the bishop of Iceland in 1989 mm. as well uh, publicly. <laughs> wow. 
So, you know, so they started having these new age meets, and I was torn between not wanting to be around that and at the same time wanting to find some healing uh, from what had happened and wanting to resolve. I mean, there was a real longing, I think, through all the, throughout the whole family uh, to find some peace over what had taken place for such a long time. Mm-hmm. And so that was the kind of inner struggle right there for me was I was drawn to these New Age meets where we had uh, Buddhist teachers and Native American teachers flown in from the States a lot of the time. Um, we had sweat lodges. We had, uh, you know, dancing. We had burning of emotion, you know, kind of fire burning ceremonies where we burned uh, things from the past and so on and so forth. And it was always this real struggle within me. You know, I was in my teens. So you can imagine a part of me loved it and a part of me hated it at the same time. <laughs> sure. Was, you know, yeah, I mean, it was just this this internal struggle continually between wanting to be there and saying, oh, this is stupid. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. This is not something, yeah, I should be somewhere else doing something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I found yoga something within me clicked. It said, okay, so here's a path that includes it all, from physical to mental to emotional to spiritual. All of the, what's the word I used so frequently, the uh, the spiritual window shopping of the New Age movement mm-hmm. got combined into a single philosophy. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I found in yoga. And so I fell in love right then and there. But at the same time that I, when I found yoga, I also started doing the motivational aspect. And it helped me, you know, through uh, positive affirmations and goal setting. I quit smoking, which was huge. Uh, I quit smoking two years before I quit drinking. And so from that point, I created a program that I taught for over 10 years in Iceland, uh, helping people to quit smoking you know, through mental reprogramming. And that worked. And so I couldn't just dismiss that as not important, nor could I dismiss the yoga, which gave me such uh, calm and peace and and focus and, uh, you know, helped me resolve so many things that were both in my body and in my mind. You know, the the catharsis of the yoga was hugely important at the time. For sure. Yep. And, yeah. It's time for our first break. But, Gujan, thank you so much. This is uh, really enlightening. Thank you so much. And um, I can just see how your personal experience, your background has really put you right in the middle of of so much about spirituality i can see clearly how it is that you address the paradox in here because you've been sitting in the middle of it it's wonderful i i I have yes (laughs) yes you have so it's time for our break listeners stay with us we'll be right back um our topic today is finding your spirit without losing your mind and my guest is gudjan bergman and we'll be right back Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. 
Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. I'm Dr. Tom Shepard, host of Let's Talk About It on Unity Online Radio. In my studies of world religions, I've repeatedly encountered two central spiritual questions. How do we make sense of life, and how do we live it more successfully? You're invited to explore these two questions with me in my new book, The Many Faces of Prayer, How the Human Family Meets Its Spiritual Needs. You'll be amazed at the remarkable ways people have learned to pray to their gods and to celebrate life individually and as communities of faith. Learn more at unitybooks.org. Are you ready to live in joy? Is there an area of your life where you could use a miracle? Have you been praying for help and guidance? Come join Lisa and Bill and their guests for an hour filled with practical tips on experiencing miracles, greater abundance, focused, deliberate living, and the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Experience more joy in life. Listen to Living in Joy, Reflections on a Course in Miracles with Lisa Natoli and Bill Free every Friday at 2 p.m. Central here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. If you're just joining us, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. And our topic today is finding your spirit without losing your mind. We're talking about this whole idea of the paradox of spirituality and the, the inner life and the outer life and how you can find that, that place, that center within uh that paradox within the inner life and the outer life and how we live in this world. My guest is Gudjan Bergman. He is from Iceland, but he is a U.S. citizen. He's been here for several years. He is um, a nonfiction author, and he is recently a novelist. He's got a new novel out called The Meditating Psychiatrist Who Tried to Kill Himself. So if that title doesn't intrigue you. I don't know what would. But um, you can learn more about Gudjan's work at his website, www.author, A-U-T-H-O-R, Bergman, B-E-R-G-M-A-N-N.com. And um, he's got lots of great stuff to share with us today. Before I get back to my conversation with him, I invite you to join me for a moment of uh, the Serenity Minute, for a moment to relax, to let go, to open up to your spirituality to your inner life to the presence of your higher power as you define it and share with me a constructive idea 
So I invite you to relax, to feel that presence of peace, of love, allowing yourself to relax from the crown of your head and feeling that relaxation as it moves all the way through your body temple and allowing your heart and mind to relax and to open and share with me this constructive idea. I am whole and well. My wholeness lives within me. I am all right. I am whole and well. My wholeness lives within me. I am all right. And now we take a moment in the quiet. for joining me in the Serenity Minute and I trust that it was an opportunity just for a moment anyway for you to take some time to let go and let God into that place of understanding that place of peace that place of love that's always there so now I'm back to my conversation with my guest Gudjan Bergman and we're talking about finding your spirit without losing your mind that paradox of our intellect intelligence and rational thinking and that paradoxical relationship with our spiritual life so uh, Gudjan before the uh, break there you were telling us about your early life and about um, how really you were right there in the middle and in your family and in the the atmosphere that you were growing up in of a lot of uh, different spiritual practices and and having to resolve that uh, for yourself and and through that to work out the relationships in your family and so forth. So you you were telling us about yoga, how uh, when you've got interested in yoga and that that seemed to be a place for you that brought together a lot of paths. Tell us a little bit more about that, how that worked for you. And probably still does, I'm guessing. Yeah, it does to a degree. Uh, I, I, you know, I could go on about yoga and, and how it's changed since I first uh, got to know it, and, and how the real, really, the concept is not the same as it was back then. But what I found in yoga was, as I said before, this combination, this unique combination, where everything was included. There was uh, practices that that. <clears throat> you know, had an effect on the physical body, on the energy of the body, on the emotions, on the mind, and there was a real connection with uh, the spiritual element. Uh, And that was really what fascinated me. So I went to a beginner's class in yoga uh, in 1997, uh, and I bought also at the same time a yoga philosophy book when I walked out of that class, which, you know, rarely happens to people that I know, but I dove into it. So a year later, I was a yoga teacher, and and my whole life for the next probably seven, eight years uh, was fully devoted to yoga. I did nothing else except maybe that smoking cessation program uh, that I did on the side. And it, it it was wonderful, but then I found that it was becoming more of a physical fitness routine that people were looking for, and 
it had lost the spiritual, mental, and emotional elements, which I had been so fond of, and I'm still fond of. Uh, and that's when I kind of decided to mesh together the spiritual path of, of yoga and the motivational techniques that I'd studied at the same time, uh, you know, with everyone from Tracy to Tony Robbins. Uh, and so I created these programs, which, you know, they were called Health, Happiness, and Peace of Mind, or uh, You Become What You Think About. And I kind of meshed together everything from mental focus to stress management to positive self-image to finding balance to learning how to meditate. Uh, and those were my programs that I ran for quite a long time after I closed my yoga studio. Uh, and nobody knew I was teaching a spiritual program. <laughs> mm -hmm. Everybody, and, and, and that was the beauty of it, is I took away a lot of the Sanskrit words that kind of turned people off, which, which happens a little bit in yoga, and I stayed with the core concepts and ideas. But then I think the next kind of turning point was when I was introduced to the work of Ken Wilber back in 2005. Uh, and I, I, I would probably warn people <laughs> when they get and you know when they start listening if they if they get interested in Ken Wilber, uh, you know the warning is a mind stretched will not return to its original form. Mm -hmm. So once once you've pushed your pushed your mind stretched it into certain ideas, you can't go back. And sometimes you know and that's part of the rational part of me is. The more I look at things, the more I read and so on, the more questions come up, the less certain I am of certain things uh, because there are so many possibilities. Uh, and that's why I termed this, this uh, concept the uh, transrational. Uh, transrational means rational plus when in so many cases spirituality tends to be minus rational. And that's my... Uh, experience anyway right uh, you so have a people, book you wrote a book called transrational spirituality a rational approach to spirituality right yes and mm -hmm. so so that's really the transrational means that you know that if it's a spiritual practice it has to meet the minimum rational demands uh, or, or criteria and then it can be spiritual on top of that and what i mean really by transrational is the deepest experience of peace that is not in the mind. You know, it's the spiritual experience which is beyond the mind, the emotions, and so on. And I think that needs to be the next step, but it's probably not for most people. <laughs> you know, it's not for uh -huh. people unless they've taken a path that takes them down this road where they have, you know, really pushed the boundaries of all these different ideas and techniques until they find, okay, you know, I need to combine all of this and then find a spiritual approach that honors my rationality at the same time. Uh, mm -hmm. That's very hard to do. And this is one of the things also I write about in my novel, is this lack of a modern, complete spiritual uh, philosophy. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we always look to the past, for spiritual philosophy, but we look to the present and future for scientific advancement, for, you know, 
emotional information, psychiatric information, psychology, uh, you know, environmentalism, so on. But when it comes to spiritualism, you know, we always look to the past. And I think we need to kind of merge the past and the future and, and honor some of the advances we've done as a society rationally uh, and, and include that in our spirituality, not ask people to leave their mind at the door whenever they enter a meditation retreat or a church or something like that. Uh, and that's right. very hard, that, that's, that's been hardest for me to do, is, mm-hmm. is go to places where I'm asked, really, to leave my mind and rational thinking at the door. Right. Tell us some more in that regard, Gudjan. Tell us more about your novel, and because uh, that's really a lot, as you just said, what you're addressing in your novel. It's fascinating. It's a really good book. I, I recommend it. Um, you're you're looking at that. You in a lot of different ways. You bring in all those elements, um, like uh, what of that, like. How do you how do you bring together thinking? How do you bring how do you have this is my word not your word but a container in some sense or a point of view for your spiritual experience or what, tell us some more about what inspired you to write the novel and and some of the the issues that you deal with in there. Okay, so uh, back when I was in Iceland, I was uh, translating a book with a friend of mine by by Jack Cornfield, uh, A Path with Heart. Mm-hmm. And we were working on the translation, and this friend of mine gets a phone call. And it's uh, because of an acquaintance of mine, a friend of his, that has been studying Buddhist meditation, that has been working with people uh, in psychiatry or psychology, I think. Right, and Cornfield is a Buddhist, he's a Buddhist teacher, right, Jack Cornfield? Yes, no, but I'm talking about this friend of, of my friend. And right. so he had tried to commit suicide. And this was 15 years ago, something mm-hmm. like that. And, no, it was more because it was before I met my wife. It, you know, it was in the, yeah, it was 1999-2000, something like that. And I have to say that it kind of shook my world <laughs> because I was so into meditation, and I thought meditation brings peace of mind. How can somebody who meditates even contemplate suicide? And that stayed in my mind for all these years until it came time to write my first novel, and then I thought, you know, I have to tackle this idea somehow uh, and talk about it. Because when you take meditation to its both rational and experiential conclusion, there is this sense of absolute peace, absolute bliss, nothingness, pure awareness. But when you come out of it, you have no idea what it means. Right? And that's the difficulty. Is If you piece together your own philosophy, like I've done, and like so many other people I know have done, then you end up feeling lost because you don't have a support group. You don't have uh, people that have gone through this before you. Uh, and you are alone. And I think, 
you know, I don't know why he tried to commit suicide all those years ago, and I only speculate about it in, in the novel. But these are the questions that I'm struggling with and that I'm looking at in the book is if somebody takes meditation all the way to its experiential conclusion, which is absolute peace or absolute emptiness, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And how does that influence a person? Right. And in your book, as you say, you, you do address those questions about and again, this is my word container, but what's my philosophical container for my experience? What's my community? I'll bring this in. I apologize. I can't remember what who this was. It may be, I think, Tara Brock maybe said this. I don't mean to put words in her mouth if she didn't say this, but she's a, a renowned meditation teacher that uh, a lot of people listen to. I think it was her or somebody recently I read that she was concerned kind of about the same things you're saying, that people were um, kind of meditating or a lot of, they were seeing meditation just as a way to calm down, but they didn't have any any philosophy about it. They didn't have any community around it. And she was concerned that in a kind of weird way it was getting divorced from ethical considerations or from community. And well, if it wasn't it, her, it, I don't mean to and, put yeah, it in her but mouth. The, but somebody the same thing did. is happening. Yeah, the same thing is happening in mindfulness. Uh, so... The uh, psychiatric community embraced mindfulness from John Kabat-Zinn, and yes. but divorced it from the Buddhism. Right. And so they took, mm-hmm. you know, Vipassana, which is the mindfulness approach, and mm-hmm. they divorced it from Buddhism. But now they're finding these struggles with the darkness, with the dark night of the soul. I mean, this has been <laughs> right. know, documented right. in, in Christianity. Uh, Big time. Yeah. Yeah, and so this is not new. This is like if you go deep enough, far enough, uh, then you have to contend with, you know, the meaning of life. Uh, there's a great book by, by uh, Ken Wilber where he compiles the essays of quantum physicists that are, you know, dealing externally with the profound questions of, you know, what is matter, uh, mm-hmm. and, and what is energy, and, and they, they're going really deep into the substance of the universe. And the interesting thing is that many of these essays become extremely spiritual uh, if, if you read them, because they're grappling with the big questions of life. And I think it's just a matter of, if, if you go deep enough, then this will happen. You you will You will be shaken out of your seat you will be um you will be divorced temporarily from your reality uh, where you can step away from life and see it as a separate part of yourself and that's very difficult if you don't have a support system if you don't have a community if you don't have a philosophy that tells you what's happening mhm and, right. and you know that, yeah, and that's that's kind of part of what I'm exploring in the book is, you know, two things. Why did this guy try to commit suicide? He's been meditating for thirty years, but then also the the therapist who comes in, who's been dabbling in meditation, wanting to meditate more deeply, but has just never really pushed himself, and then he comes into contact with his suicidal meditation master 
and all of a sudden he he's confused because he sees that this guy <laughs> has has found the deepest sense of peace that he's ever encountered in any person, and he just it doesn't compute. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to give away the whole. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think about how much to say or not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can tell me to quit if you don't. But at least what I saw in the novel, I won't say too much here. But is the therapist um, Robert Davis? That's his name. Who is, yes. he, by the way, an addiction counselor? Um, yeah. That he seems to have. A community. He seems to have at least some options for philosophy, which seem to ground him. I mean, he's struggling. I won't say any more than that. But yeah. it seems like that does ground him. You know, to, to, in, and that's the, to, to an extent, to a degree. And this is again, this is the difficulty of the piecemeal approach to spirituality of the, you know, spiritual window shopping of the of the kind of, you know mix and match, or what do you call it, the, the buffet approach <laughs> to Talk spirituality. Yeah, years ago, the Utney Reader, U-T-N-E, the Utney Reader had a fabulous, yeah. uh, the whole art, the whole issue that time was about, um, they called it designer religion. It was really yeah. funny. And this was like years ago. But anyway, so tell me what you what you mean by the buffet approach or the mix and match and and how what do you think that's about the spiritual window shopping well i mean you know i i saw it when we were when we were starting back like in the 90s when i was going to these new age meets is everybody was trying oh i'll take a little bit from native american spiritualism i'll take a little bit from buddhism i'll take a little bit from paganism i'll take a little bit from eastern philosophy right and so, and then I'll put it all together, and then I'll have a complete spiritual philosophy. And I've just not, you know, over 20 years, I've not seen it work. I've not seen it work that way to a degree that, that you know, it makes sense. Because in order for there to be a consistent philosophy, there has to be a community of people really trying. Not just right. meeting and, and telling people how, you know, telling each other how they feel, but really trying to put things into coherent context. And mm-hmm. that's, why, that's why I liked yoga so much, because it, it, instead of trying to, re, you know, trying to invent something, yoga taps into the drivers of, of you know, humanity. It's like they, there's the yoga of action, so we're active people. There's the yoga of emotion, so everybody has emotions, right? There's the yoga of intellect. And these are the major paths. They're not, the major paths are not, you know, different types of physical movement, but different approaches to human elements. And so they're saying, okay, we're going to help you unveil a part of you that does not change, that is everlasting, but we're going to do it in a way that fits your personality. And that's a complete philosophy, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of taking something... Uh, you know, uh, this is my way to learn spirituality, so I think everybody should learn it my way. And that's not how they approached it. And that's what I really fell uh, fell for back in the day, and, and still is, is the part of me that, that is drawn to that. And then, and, and this is the difficult part here, and then you have all of this um, philosophy all of the old Buddhism, all of the old 
Christianity, all of the old Hinduism or and yoga, you have certain elements that have crept in over time that are social in nature that are really turning off a lot of people. For example, mm-hmm. the, the, the patriarchy of religion, you know, yeah. the, the male-dominated aspect of religion. That is a... a, a, um, a uh, you know, that, that, that comes from the agrarian period. That comes from the period where society became male-dominated, mostly because men were stronger and they could operate, a, you know, uh, the plow, the ox-drawn plow, and they could go to war and so on. And, uh, you know, Ken Wilber explains this much better than I do, so if in, <laughs> if in doubt, but, but that's where the patriarchy comes from. And so th- this is why religion, along with everything else, needs to evolve, and that's where I always get into trouble, is I get drawn to some of these spiritual practices and have been over time, but then I always find certain elements of them that just don't withstand much scrutiny at all uh, and seem just completely old-fashioned. And it's this... And that's, this is the, the other paradox is, how do I discern, and this is a really difficult question to answer, uh, but I think it's well worth pursuing, is how do I discern between social constructs on one hand, uh, you know, uh, social and, and cultural norms, and core spiritual practices on the other? That's the biggie. I think we're in That's an age right now of people really, really having a look at that. I'm reading a book by a, a woman who is a, a Catholic religious, a nun. Um, yes. And she is uh, talking about the controversy that, anyway, the whole, the whole religious life in the United States and they, the Vatican was investigating the the women, the nuns in American, anyways, this big hoo-ha. But anyway, one, it turned out okay, I think, but because the women refused to to cave. And anyway, the thing that, that's relevant to what we're talking about here is that she said it was so hard to, for the religious communities in America, the nuns, to go through this. They felt they were being, you know, harassed, basically, by the Vatican. But she said that the gift in the whole thing was that they had to get real, real clear as individuals and as individual communities and women religious as a whole about their primary allegiance was to their own spiritual life. And so they had to do their, quote, desert work in a sense and just go off and go, you know, it's about my relationship with the divine and whatever, you know, and the rest of it's just icing or just irrelevant here. And to me, that's what's, that's the bottom line. It's relational. And we, but we all got to, find that and it's not easy oh and it's not easy and and here's also the other thing is most people don't commit to their spiritual practice you know not with the same fervor as i've done over the years uh and most people shouldn't i think you know because <laughs> uh-huh. it's you know i i was driven and, and i talk about this a lot and I, and I think when we look at the the easiest way to connect with another person, and, and the work you're doing, for example, you're connecting with people through pain. 
And it's the easiest way to connect with another person because if you have felt a pain similar to a pain that I've felt, that creates an instant connection. Mm-hmm. What makes it more important is we're working towards recovery. Right. right? And Because, you know, we can connect with each other's pain and, and moan and complain and all that all day. That's, that's easy. Everybody, everybody yeah. can do that. But mm-hmm. then you connect to the pain, and then you try to work it out, and then you try to find some, you know, some temporary bandages, some more lasting ways of dealing with it. Uh, and that, in essence, is, 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 has been my search mm-hmm. uh, and, and continues to be my search. Uh, and I wish, I, you know, and that's why I, I, as you alluded to in the beginning, that's why I have gone away from being the guy who gives answers to more of a guy that says, okay, so let's talk about meditation, you know, and let's talk about these questions. And so you leave a discussion with me feeling that you know more, but also feeling that you have unanswered questions that you really need to look at uh, with yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think you know, because... <clears throat> I'll give you a moment of clarity that came when I was teaching once. Uh, And I was teaching this weekend workshop, and I looked at the people, and I said, you know, do you really need to learn more? You know, is is there really something missing that you don't know? Because I look at you and I ask myself, how many of you are actually doing what you already know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and everybody goes like not me you know so how many of you think that life would be just quite a bit better if you did more of what you already know instead of trying to pile on always something new and everybody's hand went up and i thought to myself okay you know that could be a program that would work is getting people in and just helping them sift through what they already know and putting into effect an action plan where they start using more of what they already know. Uh, Socrates said he was the midwife of knowledge, right? That, mm-hmm. <laughs> that he could get anyone to come up with the right answer by asking the right questions. Mm-hmm. And I think you know that's a much more interesting process in itself, is asking more questions and... If people begin to answer those questions for themselves, that's much more powerful than if somebody else gives them the answer. For sure, yeah. Right? Because Mm -hmm. that gives them the self-confidence. I'm confident in myself. And what I find is when people talk about spirituality, when they talk about religion, they end up sounding like parrots because they're just regurgitating what has been told to them over the years, and there's very little thought, there's very little processing that has happened. And so I think that's really spirituality depends on processing, that you have to internalize it to a degree, as you said before, to which you own it. Mm-hmm. Right, And you own it, and once you own it, nobody can take that away from you. And that's why I think, again... Spirituality has to be transrational. Yes, you can take all these ideas, all questions, but once you take it beyond rationality, then it becomes experiential. And once you've had the experience, nobody can take that away from you. Right. Like once you've tasted once you've tasted chocolate, 
that's it. You know how chocolate tastes. Right? That's right. <laughs> nobody, yeah. nobody can take that away from you. So what do you think uh, will helps to motivate people to put things into practice to really and, and go in that path so they're owning their spirituality? Well, that's, that's been another pursuit of mine, both with myself and others, is you know, what motivates people? And if I had the absolute answer to that, I'd be a multimillionaire because <laughs> mm-hmm. that's what everybody wants. Everybody wants to know how do I get myself to do these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really, again, to, to come to the common denominator, is it's, it's pain. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's that simple. It's like find the pain, you know, find, like, you know, you go to the doctor and the doctor pushes and, until he finds where it hurts. And then he can prescribe something. And then, you know, and this is the difficulty is you have to face the pain and you have to even magnify the pain momentarily in order to find, the, you know, ignite the fire, find the motivation. If you numb it, you won't do anything. Uh, it's the, the, the Henry David Thoreau quote, you know, most people lead lives of quiet desperation is because mm-hmm. they don't allow themselves to feel either joy to want more of it or to feel enough pain to not want any more of it. Right. Mm-hmm. So you gotta be gotta be ready when you've had enough. Sounds like Well and when you've had enough, then you allow yourself to go in that direction and say, Okay, I'm gonna face my pain and then I'm gonna use that energy to move me in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I found is the, the really the only motivator that you know and once the, once I get over the, the line of starting to feel better, then feeling better becomes a motivator. Right? Mm-hmm. But right. in the beginning it's always the pain that has to catapult uh, me into action. I say, Okay, this is enough, no more of this and and my goal over the year has been to uh, raise the bottom. Uh-huh. So to speak, so so that I'm catapulted earlier on in the process. Uh, <laughs> right. Yes. Don't have to go all the way down into the de- depths of darkness to to think. Oh, now I might have to do something. <laughs> that's that's a good point. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah, the bottom hopefully gets higher as as time goes on for sure. Well, you well, know, you, you set your you set your like you know there are certain values that I go okay if I'm doing this then that's that's my bottom, and then I move out of that zone. And mm-hmm. that didn't used to be that way. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. That's the deal. Yeah. Unless as we get more aware, we can maybe choose faster or choose differently and not have to suffer so much. I think, or suffer Hopefully, differently. But, maybe but, I don't know. <laughs> but here, but here's my wish, and, and this is a good okay. point to to probably end at, is that okay. I hope that my pain serves somebody else you know a friend of mine says you can either be the horse that is continually whipped by the whip or you can be the horse that moves because he sees the shadow of the whip and uh-huh. i hope that my pain you know showing my pain through my writing uh you know whether it's my novels or my nonfiction writing that will help catapult there'll be somebody else's shadow so they don't have to hurt so much well thank you that's that's really that's generosity and that's that is truly being of service. 
Yep, our time is up. Thank you so much. My uh, guest is Gudjan Bergman, and thank you so much, Gudjan, for the work that you thank do. You. Thank you for the life that you live, and thanks for being my guest. Um, his book is his novel. He's got many books, but his novel is The Meditating Psychiatrist Who Tried to Kill Himself. You can look up uh, more about Gudjan's work at Author Bergman, B E R. G-M-A-N-N.com. And um, again, thank you for being my guest today. We appreciate it. Thanks for your all that you've shared with us, and thanks for your books and your work. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful week, and we'll be back next week on Spirit of Recovery. God bless. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Dela Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. My name is Nadia Dela Cruz, and I started the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast to explore spiritual topics like manifestation and meditation with guests who share their own stories of insight, awakening, and transformation. Listen now on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.